This is From Paint to Purpose, a podcast by FCP Services, where we believe people drive growth. Exploring topics related to company culture, leadership, and construction industry insights. Now your host. All right, gentlemen. Today we got uh, a special one, Jim Carr, Right Connections in the building. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. We are discussing the role of assessments and um, how companies can use them to hire the right people, build culture, and ultimately just um, continue to drive growth. And I know FCP yeah. has been um, a huge uh, supporter and advocate for this type of practice. And so looking forward to the conversation. Jim, yeah. I think just to start off with, can you just describe um, what an assessment is? And I think there's a lot of different types of assessments. And just give us a little like thousand foot view of what it is, the role it plays, and maybe the type of assessment that you specialize in. Yeah, no, sure. Um, assessments have been around for a long time, but, but when we're talking about assessments in, the, in, in my world, it's personality assessments or style assessments. How are people wired? How do they show up? What are their natural tendencies, behaviors, drivers, things like that? So uh, there's a ton of good ones out there. You got Myers-Briggs and DISC and StrengthsFinder, lots of things like that that measure different things and pieces. And I think they're really useful in, in helping businesses, leaders, and even individuals just know themselves better so that you can make better decisions. But uh, the one I use goes into four different categories of behaviors like DISC, uh, driving forces or motivators, what drives you or what, what motivates you. And then we measure 25 different soft skill competencies, but I call them capacities, like your capacity to be able to execute these skills. And then uh, the real kicker for this one that I use, I think, is the dimensional balance. It's the Hartman value profile, and it really digs into how you're thinking. Because at the end of the day, your style is your style. doesn't really change. But the only levers you have to really pull are how are you thinking or how are you managing it. So we measure that, too, uh, in that assessment, and it gets really complex and deep. And so we got a good picture of attitudes and how you're thinking. So it's kind of a picture of your maturity, for lack of a better way to put it it's how mature are you and looking at the world around you and looking at yourself hmm. so uh, it can be very powerful to help uh, people in general but leaders for sure to select and develop the people so, so i think a lot of people are familiar with the myers-briggs yep. or the strength finders yeah. how does this compare to that well it, it's uh, of course it's similar but it's not in 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 totality, it's four separate assessments that kind of measure the whole package. So um, I can usually get pretty close. Uh, I've got a working knowledge of Myers-Briggs, not certified, but I can get pretty close to guessing someone's Myers-Briggs based on the assessment that I use. So it's very comparable. Uh, I like it because it separates things out in detail. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, but it is basically a, a pretty good picture of your entire personality. Uh, just from a little different perspective, uh, if that makes any sense. But, yeah, Myers-Briggs is a good assessment. I would never knock any assessments out there. They're all good. I encourage my clients, if you are going to use assessments, then use assessments. Pick one. Uh, if it's not this one, that's okay. But pick one and, and dig in and use it. Uh, so I want to throw it over to John and ask you why, like, what's the value that you see? Why is it important? And why did you um, implement this? It's a great question. I think... 
So I would agree with Jim that their assessments have been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing this for a long time. And I've used many of them that you just described. And all of them have a, a positive to them. They all have added a, some value. The reason that, that the TTI assessment that we're using uh, here at FCP Services is so powerful and why I think it's so important is because it does, to Jim's point, it gives you a picture of who people are both today but in sort of a fixed way, right? That, that those things, that, that style that you show up in is how you're going to show up. And Jim has taught me in the sense that the assessment itself is just a tool. It's one mm -hmm. of many that you should have as a leader or as a hiring manager to help you make decisions around what you're able to manage and, and, and does that person fit into the culture you have. Because if it's true that for the most part styles don't change, then as a company, we have to look at people and say, is that something that we can manage through? Because nobody is perfect and no, you're not going to find a candidate for a position that's going to fit all of the things that you're looking for. So as a manager, then you have to step back and say, well, what are the things that I'm able to manage through and around because that's not going to change in this person? Uh, so on a hiring perspective, we, we use it for that very reason. Um, and But I, we found more, as much as, as powerful that is, the reality is we use it much more as a engagement with our managers and their direct reports. So mm -hmm. these reports allow us to have, well, this is how they think. This is how you, how best to communicate with them. These are the things to avoid. Um, and, and I still use them almost every week on my, in preparation for my one-on-ones, especially if I know I'm going to have to go into sort of a difficult conversation or hitting on topics, because if I don't, my style is going to show up and it may, it may be completely different than somebody who I'm talking to. And all of a sudden, even though we have a good relationship, even though there is trust, I'm going to put my foot in my mouth and I'm going to jam it all the way down there. And it's going to come across to them as even worse. And so we use it from that perspective. So it ties into our culture of building relationships, one conversation at a time. And by doing that, we can use this tool to help us in that practice. So we, we, when we instituted it, we actually started doing it in the organization before we did it externally with candidates. We had everybody go through the, the assessment uh, so that we could get a baseline and understand how to use the tool in a better way so that when we started to do, use it for all of our salaried hires and even our hourly supervisor hires, it, it was more powerful and, and our, our managers started to understand it a little bit better. Exactly. Yeah, it seems like an obvious thing to do and I don't like how else would somebody get to know their direct reports or what mm -hmm. what are the alternatives a great question uh, typically uh, and assessments get a bad rap because they don't tell you anything you don't already know about yourself number one and number two much of this is observable you work with somebody for a little bit of time and you can kind of read them and managers have prided themselves leaders have prided themselves over the years Oh, I'm a really good read of people. I can read people really well. I've hired dozens and dozens of people. And I'm like, yes, I know. We all have to do this every day. I totally get it. Wouldn't you want to enhance that a little bit by getting real data and validate your gut, number one? Number two, there probably is some things in there that you're not going to see because they're hiding it. We adapt for all the situations, especially in an interview. People show up as the way they think they need to. 
The assessment cuts through that and says, here's who they really are. As genuine as, as candidates think they want to be, and of course they do want to be, be as genuine as you can so it's, you, you know it's a right fit, you're still showing up for the situation. And you're adapting your style for the situation. We want to be able to cut through that and say, who's the real person behind the scene here? And what are they really thinking about themselves and the world around them? Because then we can dive deeper into that next interview and go, go deep. But, yeah, the alternative is use your gut. John, uh, how did the gut work? I mean, percentage-wise, you're pretty good. You've done this a long time. But how did this help? Well, it, it absolutely. Well, first, I, I will say this. <laughs> If I actually pay attention to what Jim has, <laughs> has put in, in front of me and I don't allow my gut and my bias to, and my ego, quite frankly, to dictate a hire, it, it is immensely valuable. We've, the, where we found the most value from a, from a talent acquisition sty- side is in preparation for that final interview. Right. Uh, because it does to Jim's point, cut through all of kind of the bias or BS that we always look for and justify. And I speak from a hiring manager's perspective. I can read the report and go, okay, yeah, I can see where that would show up. Yeah, I can see where that would show up. But I really like the person, so I'm just going to kind of go, yeah, all right, well, I'll manage that. Mm-hmm. And and not have the honest answer with myself to go, but will I really manage that? If it shows up in the worst possible way, am I able to handle that? And better question is, what does it do for the rest of the organization or the team the culture, if they're, if they're going right. to show up that way? And so, yeah, to your point, it is a very, very valuable tool if we use it both appropriately and if we use it in conjunction with our gut. So it is a gut check. Oh, yeah. And if we're really honest, we will get to the point of saying, yeah, that person fits a lot of these buckets, but those one or two things we just can't work with. And, and it's not going to work for them. As much as it's not going to work for us as an organization, we have to say no. And so I think I can speak for most hiring managers out there. Most of us don't actually like to interview all that much. Like it, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a 50-50 proposition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just is. Um, and so when we get to that finalist stage, we're going to choose somebody because we just need to move on. Mm-hmm. And, and that is the, the danger in any hiring. I think this helps us to pause a little bit and really make sure that we are, are hiring the right person at the right time for the right seat. You know, one concern I would have as a hiring manager would just be that somebody's kind of sandbagging the assessment and just filling out the answers that they think the company wants. You know, mm-hmm. how have you run into that, and how do you mitigate those risks? Yeah, I think uh, there's a couple things that show up there. We measure... I mean, I can tell on the assessment kind of where your self-esteem is. If you're pretty solid in how you think about yourself, it's going to show up on the assessment. That tends to correlate with the level of how people self-score their competencies because the the competency portion of the assessment is literally a self-ranking. So could you sandbag it? Certainly. Yeah, I'm fives all the way down, right? I'm a five. I do this. Everything is five all the way down. Scale from one to five, five, I do it really well, or people say I do it really well. You can't word these questions in some parts of the assessment so that it's so fail-safe. So, yeah, there are pieces you can sandbag. Um, But there are other ways because I've seen so many of them now, thousands of them, that I can kind of look through and see, okay, well, this is a person who isn't really feeling all that great about themselves, but they're scoring themselves like off the charts in their competencies. 
Where is that coming from? So that automatically is an inconsistency and a red flag for that next interview. Dig in and figure out where those competencies are, which competencies you really need for this role, and dive into those and see if you can really if these are validated or not. Because and I've had uh, people who have been hired. We've actually hired. You know, it's not like it's a bad thing because it, people are just wanting to show up the best way they can. And done the interview or debrief after they get on board, and really unpack their assessment with them. And I'll ask the question, where did that come from? I mean, you're, it, it's obvious here you're really not thinking that. You're kind of second-guessing yourself. So how do these competencies show up so strong? And they've, I've had a couple of people just flat out say, well, you know, I think I took this when I was being, of course, I took this when I was a candidate, so I was just trying to put my best foot forward. Well, and I think what he just <laughs> described is what the value, so all of the assessments, as I said before, are valuable. What Jim brings to the table, mm -hmm. and, and this is what I think makes the difference is, is the work that we do on the front end. So he does a benchmark of positions mm -hmm. uh, and you bring the key stakeholders in. You get on the same page with what you actually need the seat to do. Right. Not what you want it to do necessarily or not what we think the organization is, is trying to cover or fill a gap, but what does it actually need to do? It helps everybody who is in the, the key stakeholders to get to that right answer. So we get the right seat, number one. And that then informs on the candidate pool that we're looking at and getting down to the finalist level. But what he does at, in that process is what makes it so valuable. We can all see the reports. I get every one of them. I can read them, and I've done enough of these now to have a pretty good sense of it. Mm -hmm. But he's still the expert in it, and so I still trust his instincts on what he's seen because he sees so many patterns that it that's the part that actually adds the most value and why we have engaged with Jim so heavily on this because it's that part of it. Because And quite frankly, most of the assessments that are out there, especially the way organizations use them, they buy the assessment. Right. They, don't, they don't buy the expert who actually can interpret the assessment and then they think they can be the expert to interpret the assessment. And so I think that is, to me, the lesson that we as leaders and organizational uh, owners should should pay attention to because it is, that is what differentiates how you use it and what the value of that, uh, of that is. Uh, and, and we, you know, we're not great at it yet. I think we're getting better, but it is the discipline of doing it. And I think for no other reason, it does actually slow you down enough to really then use the gut to say, man, something doesn't feel right here. We better actually understand this better. Um, I just know that on the on the debrief side from a candidate perspective, when we are talking about that and prepping for the final interview, that can make all the difference in the world. Like I come out of those now going, I got one topic and one topic only, and we're going to just bang on that in 15 different ways for an hour probably with a candidate. If I trust it then, then I'm going to make the right decision. Um, and again, sometimes it's still a 50-50 proposition for me. <laughs> it is. Not based on the assessment or Jim's uh, skill set around this. That's just a hiring bias sometimes what, what do you mean by that you pick one topic and then bang on it 15 different ways mm -hmm. is that something something like a red flag that you saw in the in the assessment mm -hmm. yeah there's i mean jim does a nice job of of not necessarily slanting his analysis towards something uh, in particular uh, really what he does is try to highlight the 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 patterns that might be showing up in each of those four areas that that the assessment covers and then we can be able to look at that and say, okay, well, that that one thing, for instance, is really important for that 
department or that position, and we better make sure that we understand what's really underneath that. In many interviews, especially final interviews, the, the team has probably already done two or three of them. They're exhausted mm-hmm. through the process, and they are their bias will show up then because I, I really like that person. There was no red flags all the way through that. And then you just kind of check the box in the final interview and you're hoping to get to the end of it and they'll accept the offer if you, if you make it where this really does force you to go, okay, well that one thing is going to be really critical. Mm-hmm. And so then when I'm preparing for that final interview, I will literally write that write five or six questions that get to that same area that I'm concerned about so that that person really does. So get to the point where they have to answer. Like I've had one candidate actually recently mm-hmm. that I did this with and they, and they were just like, why did you keep asking it that way? Because this was my, and you know, this was the concern we had. So it does somewhat make it a little bit uncomfortable in the interview, but it's so valuable that I just think that that's the piece that, that from a hiring perspective makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. I got a question as far as some of those weaknesses that maybe prior to using the assessment, you would have glossed over or said, okay, we can work with it. Mm -hmm. Now that you've utilized it, like what are some of those things that people should be aware of or some of the pattern recognition that now you, you kind of tune in more into maybe some of those, the, uh, the the things that fly Mm -hmm. under the radar that are a bigger deal than people realize? That's a great question. Um, I love that question. And then I have a specific topic in mind. And it's, and, and you really, you, you don't even really need an assessment to dive into it, but really, what are they running from? Hmm. You get candidates that are looking for a job, they're looking for a reason. And the assessment, the TTI that we use, pulls out uh, role awareness, which really dives into their clarity on their roles and their engagement in their roles. And when that shows a kind of a flag, It'll say that they're, <clears throat> there's some unclarity and they're disengaged, okay, which you'd think would be pretty typical for somebody who's looking for a job. They're not happy in their current job, so they're going to look for something else. So it's going to show up that way on the candidate side. It's pretty common, and people tend to, you know, where are you coming from in the general interview? Where are you coming from? What's going on? Yeah, why are you leaving? And they give you the platitudes of it's too far from work. I, you know, the culture's not going. I can't get the leadership or I can't get the, the next step. There's no trajectory for me. It's yada, 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 yada. And I've seen too often that we end up taking a candidate that's leaving for a reason that they never really, we never dug into deep enough. And we put them right from the frying pan into the fire. And the next thing you know, they're going, why, why, how is this not working? I don't understand. Well, it was a similar job and a similar culture doing a similar thing, but they're thinking it's greener on the other side of the fence, and it's really not. Well, we've got to get to the bottom of that, and I've seen that happen uh, a lot, and the assessment will really pull that out. And I, I look at it and go, okay, I mean, they're looking, they're running from something, so find out exactly what it is and don't take the platitudes for an answer. Go deep there. Well, and I think to that point, the other piece that that – pulls out is to that motivators what's right. driving those you right. know, driving running away but also you have to understand what's going to actually motivate them because that goes to your culture right you know if somebody's leaving because they want a a ceiling of growth but whatever role or department they're getting into doesn't have that or isn't ready for that next step or whatever that is that they think that they want then you're already setting them up for failure and frustration because if they're leaving that organization because of that reason and it's legitimately for that reason, you've just basically said, we're going to give you that. 
because we've portrayed it in some way mm -hmm. that that's where 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 you can go. Uh, <clears throat> so I think that that matters. That motivator for me is really a big one. We've we've come to understand that more and more because if it does, if those if what motivates them doesn't fit with a company culture, you've already set yourself back mm -hmm. in in a in in ways that you can't recover from. Because you're never going to meet the felt needs that whatever they have, whether they're leaving for legitimate reasons, and there really is, maybe it's a relocation, maybe it is a layoff, or whatever it is, and and there's a re legitimate reason that you've gotten to for why they're leaving. If you're still not able to meet those felt needs or those motivators that people need to have in order to find their best self in their role, it's it's going to be a slog all the way through. Because every day in the workforce is not going to be sunshine and roses. So you have to be prepared for that. And the motivators to me are the biggest drivers around mm -hmm. what fits and what doesn't fit. And what we're really trying to do is accelerate um, that that onboarding or that performance. How do we accelerate that performance by understanding who this person is and how to how to meet those felt needs? So many, when you do finally get to the bottom of it, a lot of times, of course, people leave, they leave managers, not companies, right? So, I mean, that's that's been the general rule, which is true. And the reason why that is because those motivators are not understood by the manager. Well, the assessment dives deep into the motivations of, of they're general and they're generic, but we can pull those out through the interview because we now have a handle on what they mean. And we can pull those out there in the interview process about what is that ideal environment. It actually says so right on the assessment what's the ideal environment for this person and then you can test and validate how that specifically might need to play out for this person in that in those interview process in that interview process so we're really trying to accelerate it so not only from a selection standpoint but from an acceleration of uh, anybody who's an incumbent how do we accelerate their performance and accelerate their engagement so that they're on fire the manager knows what buttons to push and what buttons to stay away from i mean that's the that's the beauty of assessments. It's even less in the selection process, although that's huge. And I can actually tie a number to that because there are recruiting costs and, and turnover costs and things like that. But the development side is where the rubber meets the road. And it's really hard to measure the, the, the number behind, you know, the value of that. But that's where I think the, the, the gold is in this thing. It's like now that we have it I and mean, we're going to use an assessment, it's using on all the, all the, all the pieces. Dive deep and use it. And that's the beauty of the TTI is you can really process around that you can build those processes around that stuff so it's really cool yeah it's what it's what we have found to be the value add to the to both what jim brings himself to our organization but the assessment itself it is the full life cycle of an employee in your organization and right. if you use it the right way it actually does enhance and accelerate all the things that you want to to uh, to highlight about your culture and the people in it. Uh, we have found that it is just as valuable for a person who's been here for 10 years uh, as it is for that person that's coming on board. And so Jim is right. You can tangibly look at dollars and, and, and understand time to performance and all those types of things, recruiting costs. But you can also tell where your depth is in your organization as you are building out mm -hmm. infrastructures uh, where you're building out talent pools, leadership development is huge for us, and we mm -hmm. use this in that area. We've actually been able to tie that to our leadership development pro programming 
and process so that we can use those motivators, the things that we know are important, the competencies that it's it that they are self-analyzing. We have competencies internally, and we've been able to tie most of them together to be able to put that pattern together and say, well, here's our development plan. And I often say to people, the development plan is around soft skills. It's not around hard skills. It's around the competencies for what they need to be able to do next, not what they're doing right now. And this, mm-hmm. the TTI allows mm-hmm. for us to use the, that in a way that, again, because we understand what motivates them, you're building a leadership development plan that hits those buttons for them mm-hmm. and they get on fire for it and they're willing to go do the work to improve themselves. And that to me is hugely valuable. So again, it's the, I always caution, I, and I did this well before we engaged with Jim mm-hmm. and I used other assessments. If, if all you're doing is using that assessment to make a, a decision about hiring somebody, no assessment should be used that way. Number one, it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, but number two, you're not actually using it the right way and it's not being utilized to help you. So I've even said this to some of Jim's clients at times, if you're going to, if you're actually going to use it, here's how you need to use it in totality. If you're only going to use it on the front end of it, I'm sorry, and probably hurts Jim's business to say this, but <laughs> but I just don't do it, especially with the TTI, mm-hmm. by the way. You can use Myers-Briggs. You can use Finders, You can use some of these other ones where they're very, they're robust, but they're narrow, right? And and so if you're going to do it and you just want to use it for that purpose, go with something else. I would not use the TTI if I wasn't going to use it for the totality of the life cycle of, of the human that we have working for us. Yeah, that's a good point. Because it is a pretty robust assessment. It goes deep and it gets creepy. It does. <laughs> people, people call me creepy sometimes because it gets so deep. But, but going back to the culture tie-in, you know, when you and, and core values and culture tie-in, using the use of assessments around that, I think, you know, when I see literally what, what has happened over the course of the evolution of my business is, is seeing how there, there's a fad out there of, you know, good leaders want to use assessments. They want good data. They're data-driven people. They look at assessments. And I've I've gone through three or four iterations numerous times with different leaders, and they just want to use it to get, make a decision. They, 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 they're looking for a silver bullet. And what I've been finding is the, the ones that, the clients that really dive, that really use it well and dig into it, it becomes a match. They already have a core value around people. This highlights the, the uniqueness of people, the strengths of people. So they look at this as like, yes, this perfectly fits with core values and culture because we have a people-centered culture. This pulls out more and deeper information to discover that about people so that we can utilize it better, so we can engage them better. I mean, the tie-in is absolutely like spot on for building a culture centered around people, or at least part of it centered around people. We always have to have you know, the performance and all that and integrity and that stuff. But the people-centered piece assessments, if you use them the way John's talking about here in a totalitarian sort of way, life cycle of the employee, it totally ties in with a people-centered culture. And those are the clients that I end up doing the best work with because they get it. They understand it's not just give me that data so I can make this decision. Yeah, if you if you use it in that narrow scope, it's going to be it, it's actually going to be less useful than just trusting your gut. To be honest with yeah, you, true. Um, and and so Jim's right, and we focus heavily on our culture and building it the right way, and that centers around our core values. And so when we looked at using this, that was one of the first things that we that that we did is to really build that into everything that we're doing. 
And then all of the pieces that we already had in place for performance management, for mm -hmm. evaluating, um, for development, we started to plug this in and go, okay, well, how are you going to be able to do this? And how are you going to use this? And where are we going to go with it? And it does build to that culture. So our core values, as we've talked about in this podcast before, are people drive and growth. Well, the assessment does that. Yes, you need to have people first and a people-centric uh, culture that you want to drive towards. That is an important part of using the TTI and it, and it should be uh, it for anybody, quite frankly. But because we also have drive and growth and we balance all three of those core values, this also helps with that as well. So if we know what drives them, what motivates them, that's going to tie into what we believe about what performance is going to look like uh, and what it needs to look like in our organization. Because every organization has that too, right? So Part of what we do is we say we are going to be client-centric and people-centric, which means you got to drop what you're doing and make sure our clients are happy. That might be at 9 o'clock at night on a Saturday. You don't want to do it, but that's what we expect in the organization. It doesn't happen all the time. Well, if the motivator says, I really want to be balanced and I cut out completely once my day is done, we're probably not going to be the best place for you because our managers are mm -hmm. going to be like, what in the world are you doing? Like, no, you need to respond to that email right now. And fair or unfair, that's our culture. And if you don't understand that and you're using these drivers and motivators and you're looking at it and go, well, yeah, that person really likes their, their separation, okay, well, we better be careful then. Because so it does tie into that if you use it correctly. And then it also builds, we use this, the, the other cool part about this that we've started to do is this what we call a team assessment. So we mm -hmm. get this balance of, of who these people are individually, and then we put that on top of, here's the department, here's the team. How do they all fit? And again, you hope that there's enough diversity in that group to be able to uh, cover a lot of the things that you're looking for. But it'll also highlight, wow, you, like Jim always tells me, I got to type. <laughs> and and I, no, I don't. Yeah, I do. Yeah, you, you know, do. I, I, you know, as much as I'm like, no, no, I'm open. No, I'm not. Uh, there are certain <laughs> table stakes that are just like that. I don't care. You know, uh, that those are things that have to be there to be uh, successful in my teams. But we look at that team piece and you go, oh, and it's amazing. We've done this a couple of times. Mm -hmm. We've had people work together for years and Jim will walk us through this and they'll go, oh, so that's why we go sideways mm -hmm. it, because it's this communication where I am saying it one way and they're hearing it completely different. Oh, yeah. And so there was no ill intent, but then you're like, well, why are we going sideways all the time? You know, I have a colleague here that he and I are polar opposites in the way we communicate. If both of us aren't careful, we will be saying the same thing and driving towards the same end result. And it will be painful for both of us to get there because we're not able to hear what they're saying in the way that makes sense for us. And it's been valuable to understand that. Uh, it doesn't make it any easier on the relationship, unfortunately, but it does help to move along and, and try to find those commonalities. So it is, a it, it, again, you can place this in any part of the life cycle of the employee if you use it right, and you're going to get value out of it, which is what I think is so great and why it fits our culture. Because we do say we want people who are engaged with their managers, especially both the employee and the manager. Do you care about them? like do you really care about them? Because part of caring about somebody is telling them the truth. It's not sugarcoating. It. It's not saying, well, yeah, they got that problem. I'm just going to ignore it. It's also living life with them. Like we care about that enough where we're going to say, oh, you're struggling. It's probably not something here. So 
you know, one of our questions that we ask in our one-on-ones is how you doing? No, no. How you really doing? Right. Cause everybody, <laughs> how you doing? I'm fine. Mm-hmm. You sure? How you really doing? And what, and it's amazing when you ask that, that follow-up question, what actually happens and being able to understand it and interpret it based on what we know about the person is, is really valuable. And I think you're, uh, the, the motivators in that communication style piece you're talking about, John, I think is, is super valuable and, and, uh, it stems what I've seen is one of the biggest um, takeaways from being able to use and incorporate an assessment into the organization is that mindset piece that changes because of the new information. It's it's less about having to understand it. You mentioned the motivators uh, and the drivers uh, being so important. They are. It's critical. And the, the interesting thing about those drivers or motivators is they're, they're not as observable as the behavioral piece of the assessment. And so you can work with somebody and you don't really know what drives them. And sometimes they don't even know what drives them. I mean, they know, but it's so innate, they can't really articulate it. And so from a communication or a conflict standpoint, you can be working with somebody who's polar opposite from you, and you can move through the the behavioral pieces that you observe pretty well because you know you have to work with different people and there's diversity out there and yada, yada, yada. They got all that, right? But there's this piece you just do not get. You just do not understand why they are doing. This does not make any sense, right? And what the assessment does is it goes, you get the whole, oh, just like you said. I mean, oh, that's okay. And then you go, that still doesn't make any sense. I mean, that just, I can't even fathom that, right? Because you're just so polar opposite in these two styles that you just can't, you'll never see what this person sees. You'll never see it as being important. You'll never see it as something that is valuable. But by understanding it and having the assessment pull it out and, and talking about it in that way, it changes your mindset to say, because the, the default is, okay, well, I just don't get them and they just do that and that's okay. I just, I just ignore that piece. All right. That's one mechanism, right? That's one way to address it, but wouldn't a better way to address it be, well, no, I'm not going to really understand it. What, what if we were to try to leverage the strengths that that brings? That's a mindset shift. You're never going to really understand it because you are polar opposite from that other person. But the mindset of like, well, how do I leverage and manage and pull out the best of what that brings, even though I'll never really understand it, that is golden when you can start to do that and it and it for a culture that wants to really build relationships like we do at fcp services to jim's point it changes the mindset but it doesn't change the mindset from me looking at that person and saying well yeah i I don't understand i'm never going to understand how how that plays out for them but it's their problem it becomes a right okay well, now, how am I going to respond to right. this? How am I going to change myself and adapt to this situation? And to Jim's point, then it does turn it to, but that person's valuable. They are valuable mm-hmm. in their own way. And if we are polar opposites, oftentimes where they they bring value, I don't. And if I'm right. self-aware enough to say, yeah, I'm not, that person really brings this out that I can't do, you start to see it in a very different way. And likewise, if you actually are the the other piece of this, that's really important is it allows you to go deeper and directly into those conflicts without it becoming a conflict. Objectively, you can can literally Mm -hmm. say, I don't understand it. And I don't think we ever will, but here's how we need to be able to talk this through. And you start to have that openness, which then leads to both parties being able to say uh, open and honest. Mm hmm. 
we can deal with conflict as opposed to I'm just going to ignore the person because I don't, don't wanna, I don't want to go down that path because every time we do, it's an argument. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's understanding those things that I think are, are really important. And so one last point on that, that polar opposite, or even if you're similar, like I've seen oh, yeah. the, what happens, mm-hmm. it's interesting too, because you'll look at the, the, he does this graph in this wheel and, and you look at it and go, oh, well, well we're really, really similar. And, and you will do this one-on-one comparison be, before we, we even do the team one. And Jim will walk you through that, and you, yep, yep. Oh man, we really connect. And then you, then we'll come into his office like two weeks later and go, Jim, why we're so similar? Why are we banging heads on this thing? And he'll go, hm, let's sit down and look at it. And then you go, just because you're similar in some of these things, it actually means that it's not, it's still not showing up the same way. So we right. look at, we look at those motivators or drivers, and they might be, and the competencies, and they're really, really close. But because there's one piece of ourselves the behaviors or that part of us that we may not always want to admit that part of it is going to be very different than that person. And that's where you go. Mm. And, and especially under stress, um, it's going to show up. Yep. And, and so I've, and I've, I found that to be both fascinating and infuriating at the same time. Mm-hmm. Cause I'll walk in and go, <laughs> how do I, how do I deal with it, Jim? <laughs> and, and it's interesting cause it's not, how do I deal with it? How do I deal with them? It's how do I deal with it? How do I deal with it for myself? How am I going to be That's adapting to it so that I can better be show up in the way I'm supposed to? Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit fcpservices.com. Until next time, remember, people drive growth.